The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. Next on Life Today, Ruth Graham opens up about her struggle with unforgiveness toward others and herself. I had always looked at forgiveness as a way to get healthy emotionally. Right. You know, we've been told it's a gift we give ourselves, it's a letting go. And at that point, I realized that forgiveness was so much more than that. It really was much more than that. And I wanted to know more about it. I wanted to have an experience of that kind of forgiveness where I was changed, where I was transformed. Hello, welcome to Life Today. I'm Sheila Walsh, and I'm so glad that you've tuned in to this particular episode. I wonder if you have ever struggled with forgiveness. You know, you might be in a situation where you're like, do not even ask me to forgive, that's ridiculous. That would not be fair, what they did was wrong. Or maybe you're in a place where you think, I can't forgive myself. Well, I think today's guest is gonna bring some much needed light into any dark spaces. So I just wanna welcome um, Ruth Graham, so great you're with us. I'm so happy to be here. And this fantastic book is called Forgiving My Father, Forgiving Myself, An Invitation to the Miracle of Forgiveness. Mm -hmm. I love to read, so I usually get to read a lot of books, but I have to say this one I read literally from cover to cover because <laughs> I knew I didn't want to miss anything. Mm. But I wonder if you take us to the beginning. You start with this incredibly compelling account of an encounter you had with a man in Angola prison. Yes, uh, Ruth Graham and Friends, which was the ministry that the Lord had given me, was a team of professionals, psychologists, pastors, um, teachers, and we were invited to go speak to the prisoners at Angola. And Angola prison, as you know, is a place where people go for life. They don't get out of Angola. And um, they have, they're hardened criminals, most of them. And... Um, I didn't know what to expect. I'd never been in a prison. And while we were there, the warden, Burl Kane, asked if I would go to death row and visit the prisoners there, that wow. our team would go. And I said yes, because I felt like I had to, but I was scared to death. Mm -hmm. I thought, I have never been in that kind of situation. And what did I, as a middle-aged, white homemaker, have to say to these hardened criminals? And I just said, Lord, you're gonna to have to take over. So as we walked through the gates and they clanked closed behind us and the keys rattled and <laughs> the guard going the other way and um, we faced a corridor of, of cells and concrete floor so our footfalls echoed. And the first, we divided it up so we could speak to as many prisoners as we could and the first prisoner I spoke to stuck out his hand, little brown hand, and he said, I'm Michael. And we talked a bit, and uh, we, I asked about his family. Did you take his hand? Oh, of course, of course. And uh, I, knew I, was, I knew I was safe. I knew <laughs> I was safe. And um, Burl Kane would have had it no other way. But I just, um, he had deep brown eyes and a warm smile, and he said, can I sing you a song? Wow. And I thought, oh, my goodness. Uh, so he stood back, and he took a deep breath and sang a cappello. It is well with my soul. On death row. On death row. And, uh, and I knew it was well with it. I could see it in his face and his appearance. And um, then when we finished and I began to leave, he said, oh, I have a gift for you. And I thought, 
what does this man on death row have to give me? I want to give him something. But um, he went and grabbed under his pillow, and there was a little woven cross that he'd woven out of the threads from his bedsheet. And he handed it to me, and it's in my house now. Always a reminder to pray for those men on Angola. And we left, said our goodbyes, and I thought that was the end of it. Mm -hmm. And about three weeks later, while I was there, the, the national press picked up the fact that I was in Angola and carried it nationally. And I got an email from a lady, and she said, did you really go to Angola's death row? And I emailed her back, and I said, yes. She said, did you meet so-and-so? And I said... I don't know. I've met a lot of men. I'll have to ask. So I called Burl Kane and I said, yeah. he said, yes, you did. And so I emailed her back and said, yes, I did. And she emailed me and she said, is he a believer? I said, well, I've got to check with Warden Kane. <laughs> so I called Burl Kane back and I said, Burl, is he a believer? He said, yes. As a matter of fact, he's scheduled to be executed this month. And I thought, oh my goodness. So I emailed this person back and I said, yes, he is a believer. Why are you interested in this young person? And they replied, he murdered my granddaughter in a gruesome way. Oh and I thought, oh my goodness. And she said, I take no pleasure in his impending death, but I want to know he'll be in heaven with me. Oh my gosh. Such grace. <laughs> and I could only picture, because he was executed later that month, I could only picture him stepping into heaven <laughs> and seeing a little granddaughter there, welcoming him as a brother in Christ, and just a powerful illustration to me of the miracle of forgiveness. Only God could do that. What did that do to you? I mean, you know, obviously you are Billy Graham's daughter. <laughs> um, you've probably heard the Bible since you were... Before I was born. <laughs> since before you were probably read to you, yes. But what did that particular story and the story of the grandparents, how did that impact your own life? Well, it did because I had always looked at forgiveness as a way to get healthy emotionally. Right. I thought that it was, you know, we've been told it's a gift we give ourselves. It's a, it's a letting go. And at that point, I realized that forgiveness was so much more than that. It really was much more than that. And I wanted to know more about it. I wanted to have an experience of that kind of forgiveness where I was changed, where I was transformed, like the, the grandmother and the, the little girl, the, the prisoner. Wow. You tell an interesting story that I think a lot of people will relate to of when you were young and something happened and you ended up getting in trouble for something you did not initiate. Because that's something I've heard from my son when he was growing up. Mom, it's not fair. Mm -hmm. What do you say to people who say, you know, you want me to forgive, but it's not fair? It's not fair. It's not fair. <laughs> I agree with you. And it's like when we're in a store and I say, if you break it, you have to buy, uh, uh, buy it. And um, it's some, when we forgive, it's like, it's broken, but we didn't break it, but right. we have to pay for it. Wow. And it just doesn't seem fair. But then if you look at the crucifixion, hmm. you know, Jesus knows how unfair it was. And he was bloodied beyond recognition and beaten and, I mean, really beaten until he was raw and then nailed to a cross. And while he was being nailed to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That was unfair, but that is holy. That is sacred territory. That is just, that is more than healthy emotional right. stuff. It is, it is holy. And I, and I just think that's important for people to realize. Yeah. You know? I think that's a powerful statement. Forgiveness isn't fair, mm -hmm. it's holy. Mm -hmm. But you make another statement in the book that I found personally really helpful. 
you, you talk about the fact that people will say that time heals wounds, mm -hmm. but if you don't deal with the wound and you just bury it, you bury it alive. alive. What do you mean and by that? it comes back. It <laughs> comes back. You know, if you don't deal with it, and I, and Sheila, forgiveness is a lifelong process. Yeah. You know, we can say, oh, I forgive mm -hmm. and go on. But within a couple of months, the emotions are kind of roaring back and we think, oh, we really didn't forgive and we begin to beat ourselves up again. But you know, emotions never tell the truth. No, that's true, they so, don't have the brain. <laughs> that's right, so they just are. And so we have to get rid of the emotions and we can, we can feel them, but we don't have to live with them. Yeah. And I think it's important to know that, but forgiveness is a lifelong process that takes time. And I have, worked through forgiveness on so many different levels, so many different levels, and found that when we forgive, that's the doorway by which the Holy Spirit can enter that decision and enable us to truly forgive. Mm. It's not gonna happen overnight, yeah. it may take a lifetime, but it will happen. How can you tell when you have actually forgiven someone? Are there kind of internal signals that would let you know that you actually have forgiven? Well, it's maybe easier for me to tell you how we haven't, to tell we haven't okay, forgiven. That's good. When we see the person who's wronged us, and that's the first thing we think of. Right. Or when their name comes up, we want to tell people what happened. Where we can't get rid of, of mm -hmm. what they've done to us. That's a sign that we haven't forgiven. And I think when we have forgiven, then we're able to be around that person. We're able to talk with that person. We're able to bless those people, pray a blessing on them. Uh, and if we're not able to do those things, then we need to go back to the mm -hmm. cross and say, okay, Jesus. That part of your book, I mean, honestly, Peel, I just want you to know this is one of the best books on forgiveness I've ever read. But that really got to me because I thought of a person who really wronged me a long time ago. And when I began the process of forgiveness, I would say, Lord, I forgive them, but you know I don't mean it. And I mean, that was me just <laughs> Forgive like, through clenched teeth. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But you're right, it is a process. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's more about faithfulness than emotion. Yes. You give a few really helpful things on what forgiveness is not. You say it's, and I'll let you pick up whichever one you want to talk to. You say it's not natural, mm -mm. it's not easy, and it's not, it's not necessarily, it's not forgetting what happened. No, no, we, we don't forget what happened. Um, my husband was unfaithful for a number of years, and our marriage ended in divorce, and um, I haven't forgotten that. Mm -hmm. And to be perfectly honest with you, I was very bitter and very angry, and it wasn't until after his death that something else happened to me wrong, and I, I was weeping and I was asking the Lord to forgive me. And then I said, Lord, please go back to Ted and tell him that I ask his forgiveness. And I know that's not theological. Oh, I don't know, I like that. <laughs> but I thought, you know, God can handle that. And I, and I had to leave it there. Wow. And um, so I'm trusting that the Lord did tell Ted that I was very, very sorry and ask his forgiveness. Wow. One of the things I found fascinating, you talk about the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Mm. Because forgiveness is to do with the one who was offended against, but reconciliation, what is that about? That demands a change in the that offender. Has, yes. Forgiveness is unconditional. Reconciliation is conditioned on the changed behavior of the one who's done the wounding. And you're, if you're the one wounded, you're the one that knows the change. You can't have someone, oh, he's changed, he's changed, or he can't come and say, oh, he's changed. You've got to know that and sense that in your bones. And with counseling, with a pastor's help, then, if you want to try to reconcile, take it very slowly and very carefully. Um, 
I'll have to be honest, I was a little surprised when I opened the book to chapter four <laughs> and began to read, and there I was <laughs> in all my glory. And on, I mean, I'd, I'd love you to talk a little about that, but honestly, it, it made me kind of heartbroken mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. um, and you don't present it in a way that, that, but it just, tell me what that was all about. Well, it was interesting because when I got the book and I started reading it, I did not This realize. was my book that yes, it was James, your book. And Betty James and sent Betty to sent it to me. And um, I had no idea that that wound was there. And I began reading and I began to cry. Mm. And I thought, Lord, what is this about? And I, w I was so emotional that it took me weeks to write you a note. But Mother treated you so well and was so gracious and so loving. And she loved you and she, till the day she died, she loved you. And I felt like she loved broken people, but she didn't want a broken daughter. And she certainly didn't want her broken daughter talking about it. She wanted it all covered up. And it really was hard. It was very hard. And I thought, well, she gave that to Sheila. Why couldn't she give that yeah. to me? And she had died since then. So we never got to talk about it. But um, I know Mother loved me. Mm -hmm. She just did not know how to relate to me. Do you think some of that was a generational thing or a personality thing? I think both. Mm. I think uh, Mother was very good at relating to young pe people. But um, I think it was a personality. Mm. Uh, she and I, I was, <laughs> this is a terrible thing to say, I was very much like my father. <laughs> and maybe that drove her crazy, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, and I was more honest. Yeah. She used to say, even a cat knows some things need to be covered. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, well, but I have found, Sheila, that when I've told my stuff, now I'm not telling my siblings stuff and I'm not telling my mother's or my father's stuff, sure. telling my stuff, this is not a tell-all book. No, no. Um, but I find that when I tell my stuff and I make myself vulnerable, that's when ministry takes place. Yeah. You talk about making wounds mm, sacred, mm. which is something, I love that. I have a chapter in a different book on celebrating your scars as tattoos mm, of triumph. Mm, mm. What do you mean by making your... Um, wounds sacred? When we give them to God mm. and we say, God, I don't like this. I'm hurting like mad. I don't know how you're going to make anything out of this, but I give it to you for to use for your glory. And I remember after my divorce from Ted, I was so wounded and so hurt. And I was just, I was acting out and everything was a mess. And I had a rebound marriage that was just a mess. And I remember saying to God, if you can ever use this mess for your glory, you are welcome to it. Never dreaming he would, never dreaming he would. But he has. And um, after I wrote, in every pew sits a broken heart, wow. it had such an impact. And people related to me in a different way. Yeah. And I'm very grateful. God's called me to be vulnerable. And I have not, people have not always liked it. No, I totally, I honestly relate to that. Mm. I remember when I went back on the 700 Club after spending a month in a psych hospital, and I basically went on to say goodbye, and they said, don't tell people where, now mm. this was not Pat, Pat was really kind to me, but the producer said, don't tell people where you were, mm. or they'll never trust you again. Mm. Um, and when I said, I want to share about this, mm -hmm. and they said, well, it's your funeral. But <laughs> in that week, 10 days after, I had over 5,000 mm. letters mm -hmm. from people mm -hmm. saying, I've never heard anybody tell my story before. Mm -hmm. That you're right. It's mm -hmm. it, to me that's real ministry. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's where it's 
that's where the rubber hits the road. Yeah. You know, we want company along the journey. And when somebody knows that they have experienced the same thing and they've walked this journey with us, and that's what I wanted to do in this book. I wanted people to see the journey that I went through yeah. and what was right, what was wrong, what was ugly, what was messy and what was biblical and what wasn't biblical. And I wanted to say, all right, come along with me. Yeah. I remember, I, I loved when I got to the part where you talked about your dad's funeral, because mm -hmm. I was there that mm -hmm. day. And I was so blown away by what you shared <laughs> at your dad's funeral. Um, would you tell us that story and what that must have felt like that day as you were driving back to Montreal? Well, I was driving home. I had entered a rebound marriage, um, ill-advisedly against my parents' suggestions and counsel. My mother called me from, from uh, Seattle. My father called me from Tokyo and said, why don't you wait? Let's get to know this man better. But I was so hurting and I wanted someone to take care of me. Sure. I really wanted somebody to take care of me and to make the pain go away. So I entered into this second marriage and within 24 hours, I knew I was in big trouble. And uh, I stuck around for a little while and then I became afraid of him. Mm -hmm. And I thought, no, I'm not gonna stick around for this. And so I left and I knew I had to go talk to my parents. And it was a two day drive and fears multiplied with every mile. What was my life gonna be like? What was I gonna say to them? What were they gonna say to me? Um, I, just, I didn't know what my future life was gonna be. And I was at that point, I was willing to work at McDonald's and smell like french fries for the rest of my life. Been there. <laughs> and so when I round up, you've been up to the house, it's up on a mountainside, and around the last driveway, right, right, last bend in the driveway, my father was standing there waiting for me. And when I got out of the car, he wrapped his arms around me and he said, welcome home. There was never, and I told you so, there was never any blame or shame. Um, my father was an incredibly forgiving, gracious man. Mm. And I told that story at the funeral. I didn't want to, and I told the Lord, I don't want to tell this story. I'm tired of telling it. But the Lord said, as clear as a bell to me, I gave you your story for my glory. Mm. And I want you to tell the story. So I did. And the world's press was mm. there that day. I remember just seeing the banks of, <laughs> but honestly, for me personally, it was mm. the most powerful mm. part of the mm. whole the well, it showed what my that. father was like. That was his essence. Yeah, and how much he loved you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting. We um, started by talking about your experience in Angola prison, but there's another Angola mm -hmm, that is. you are very familiar with as we are here live today. Um, you've actually been in Angola with uh, Mission Feeding, which yes. is a huge passion of it us. It was wonderful, wonderful trip that we had. Um, and to see those children line up with their little red dishes yep. and stand in line in the hot sun and the flies and mm -hmm. for hours yep. waiting for their their gruel really mm -hmm. and realizing that was probably the only meal they'd get that day maybe that week um, and what a lifeline that is oh, absolutely. so important and so critical to these children and their little bellies are hanging out in their blonde hair and you don't think in Africa they're blonde hair that means they're malnourished yeah. Yeah. and uh, these children desperately need that yeah and it's something that we are committed to here at Life. So let me just show you a little bit of how you can make a difference. Mm -hmm. Would you watch this? Mandalina is weary. For years, she has battled an enemy that thrives in the environment she calls home. Despite her most desperate efforts to protect them, five of her children have lost their lives. Apamunda 
Bonjour, je suis the most recent victim in her home was her four-year-old daughter, a dearly loved girl whose greatest joy was helping her mother. Mandalina clings to those memories, even as her grief threatens to overtake her. In the face of such a relentless enemy, Mandalina continues to fight, all the while caring for her children who have fallen ill because of malnutrition again and again and again. This shadow of death has loomed over Mandalina's family and so many others like them for far too long. With your help, we can provide a daily bowl of food for all the children in Mandalina's village. The darkness can be rolled away and a bright future can be revealed. You know, the thing that struck me um, most intensely on my last trip to Africa was sitting with these mothers and realizing there is no difference between this mother and between me as a mom. I just happened to have been born in Scotland and they happened to have been born in Africa. I was born into a family where there was always breakfast and dinner at night. And that mom, did you see, she's literally sold everything she had. And the other thing I saw on our last trip is that these are not mothers sitting around wishing somebody would help them. Most of the women I met get up at four o'clock in the morning to try and scramble for food or to try and find water to cook something. And they work so hard all day. But to bury five children and the, to bury a little four-year-old girl, you know, we had the privilege as a team to walk with some of these women to the places where they had buried their children. Honestly, I felt like I was on holy ground and weep with these women. But the great news is this is not one of those national disasters where there's little we can do. We can change this. And that's our commitment through mission feeding. And if we can do it together, you know, no matter what your, your budget is, if $30 will feed three children for three months. I mean, what can you do with $30? You go to a movie and it's, it's gone. But $30 would feed three children for three months. $50 would feed five. $100 feeds 10. And if, if you've been blessed, if, if God has placed you where you are able to do more, $1,000 feeds 100 children. Now, for any gift at all, um, I'm going to send you Ruth's book because honestly, it's one of the best books I've read in a long, long time. And I believe it will have a significant impact on your life and the life of your family. But what we're asking is, would you just join with us? That mother, she said, when I look to the future, it is bleak. But you and I can change that. We can be the answer to her prayers so that they're given a future and a hope. So please, would you go to your phone? Would you give the best gift possible? You can only give what you've got. But if we all do that, we will change the lives of entire villages in Africa. It's our commitment this year to continue to feed thousands of children. As Betty has often said, we never want that line 
to be longer than the food we have to give them. They're waiting with their little red bowls. Let's feed them in Jesus' name. Please call. Just give the best gift you can possibly give. Mission Feeding began with a promise to be there in times of crisis for thousands of hurting and hungry children in their time of need. Now more than ever, we need your help to save lives by feeding and caring for children across the continent of Africa. With food reserves gone and many areas experiencing severe famine, we urgently need to replenish our supplies to reach the 400,000 children who are counting on us. Your gift of love can be the miracle answer to a desperate mother's prayer. Call now with your life-saving gift of 30, 50, or $100 that will help feed and care for three, five, or 10 children for three full months. With your gift, we'll send you the Altered Worship CD by Anthony Evans. This powerful full-length album includes unique versions of some of today's most cherished worship songs that are sure to uplift and inspire you. With your gift of $100 or more, please request a filled with faith and joy travel mug set. These 12 ounce mugs are crafted with large handles, double layered insulation, and vacuum sealed lids to prevent spills. Each mug includes a message to remind you of God's blessings and faithfulness. Finally, with your gift of $1,000 or more to help feed and care for 100 children, be sure to request our commemorative bronze sculpture, Safe in the Shepherd's Arms. Please call, write, or make your gift online today. This is just the beginning of the hungry season, and yet already we're seeing a line here that is way longer than what we're used to seeing. Far more mothers and children here than what I've seen for a long time. That terrifies me, because what that means is that many of these children may well lose their life. And that's why we have to get mission feeding out there into the villages. You see, if we get to the villages where these mothers are, if we can meet them there with mission feeding, we can solve this problem where we can guarantee life. Here we fight the battle of life and death. Out in the village with mission feeding, we guarantee life. Please, do whatever you can do. Partner with us to help us continue to expand mission feeding and continue mission feeding in the areas we are so that we can guard against mothers and children having to be in non-nutrition clinics. Keep calling if the lines are busy, just persevere. And Ruth, honestly, this really is an, is an amazing book. Was it a hard book to write? It was a very hard book to write. And um, it's taken me a year, year, years to write it. Wow. But very happy to be able to finally write it and to know that God will use it, I believe. Oh, absolutely. Because honestly, if you're struggling to forgive anyone, if you're struggling to forgive yourself, there's so much wisdom in the pages of this book. So for any gift at all that you send to help us with our mission feeding this year, we will be happy to send you Forgiving My Father, Forgiving Myself, an invitation to the miracle of forgiveness. There's so much to talk about. I would just love it if you would stay and we could do another day. You think love you might to. do that? Love to. Thank you. Thanks, Ruth. <laughs> Thanks so much for being with us. We'll see you next time on Life Today.
he walks up to me with his hand outstretched and says, hi, I'm Victor, how are you? A homeless man, a broken woman, and the decision that made them family. Tomorrow. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.